Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to season four, episode 38, 38, Benji, of Undermine, brought to you by Osiris Media. I'm Tom Marshall, your tour guide, your fish tour guide, as we revisit, relive, redefine, underline, and of course, undermine Fish's prized Fall 97 tour. We're diving into each show of that tour on its 25th anniversary. And if you're just joining us, we began this season with 25 shows from the 90s that got us to this point. And so here we are blazing through the Fall 97 tour, show by show, song by song, moment by moment. And in real life, we go hurtling from birth until the end. And everything in between is just a blur of high chairs, seesaws, number two pencils, summer vacations, prom night college dorms and before we get to the wife the kids and the picket fence there was fish tour <laughs> fish tour was in the 90s and it was a moment that many of us lived before big cypress ushered in the the new millennium and a change of scene but here at undermine the moment never ends making use of the company flux capacitor that we have to share with the whole osiris building here um we've set the undermine delorean to december 2nd 1997. So right now you're witnessing a trail of flames rising from the treadmarks 
as we suddenly race down Broad Street, Philadelphia in the present past tense. It's December 2nd, 25 years later. The doors open DeLorean style and out of the haze and dry ice from the passenger side. Who's that striking silhouette that's emerging? Well, if you're joining us on YouTube right now, you already know that it's my co-host Benji Eisen. And you also already know everything else above was just a metaphor. There is no real company flux capacitor. Well, that's a damn shame. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening, if you're listening instead of watching, that's Benji. Hi, Benji. Hi, Tom. Um, there's probably no DeLorean either. No DeLorean. Damn it. Uh, the next thing you're going to tell me is that we don't even have smart wool or section 119. I'm definitely not going to tell you that because we still do have product placement. Well, um, <laughs> okay. On the night we're talking about, section 119 didn't even exist yet. So I don't need to be jealous of your donut threads, but <laughs> I, I am anyway. Uh, smart wool actually may have existed, but smartphones did not. Right. So uh, if they did, I you know, I, if they existed back then, I would have this photo from the floor of the Philadelphia Spectrum where I was for the show. And instead, all I have is I have this, uh, I have the ticket stub and there's a black X scribbled on the back. Oh, did, did you get an autograph from somebody? <laughs> no, I got a warning from a security guard. Any more dancing in the aisle, and I would have uh, been 86 from the home of the 76ers. So, um, it, you know, in addition to my ticket stub, I do have, I have some really strong memories of this night, not just of fish at the Philadelphia Spectrum, but also of the late night show at the Disco Biscuits at the Theater of Living Arts. You know, as a matter of fact, Tom, in addition to all the other standout uh, picture postcard memories that I have of this night, I believe that this was the fateful night when I handed you an Uno card that my friend Uno Clay gave me in the parking lot earlier on in the night. You did. And I remember thinking, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't really matter, actually, until like several shows later when I started seeing more and more Uno cards. And then someone online uh, made the assertion that Tom Marshall started the Uno card craze. And that's when I had to put my foot down and, and object. And I may even have said some terrible things about Uno cards. So I'm sorry about that. But in retrospect, over the years, I found out that people can say worse things about you online and that Uno card rumors are probably pretty harmless. I think Uno cards are, are probably pretty harmless, but <laughs> it was a big night for me. You know, I handed you uh, what essentially is just a card from a card game and a totally arbitrary action that accidentally ignited a whole Unodard conspiracy <laughs> theory. Uh, and then later on that same night, I escorted Mike Gordon backstage to blaze with the disco biscuits since uh, I was in the the odd position of, of I had credentials and he didn't. So um, I think I think now I've mentioned the disco biscuits as many times as I've mentioned fish so far in this episode. And you know, Tom, there's probably no reason for that whatsoever. Let me ask you this uh, on the same thread. Tom, do you know who our guest is today? <laughs> of course I do. And even though our <laughs> listeners already saw his name in the episode title, today's guest is, of course, Mark Brownstein, a.k.a. Brownie from the, Mark, from the Disco Biscuits. I also call him Mark. Mark is a member of Electron and Star Kitchen 2. Those are his other two bands. And it should be noted, he co-founded... 
headcount, along with uh, Osiris Powell, Andy Bernstein, and his pandemic pivot that's taking all his time now, all his creativity when he's not on stage or writing music, is uh, his company Lively. Um, and so he's got better things to do than just sit and wait for us in the waiting room. <laughs> that's very true. And, you know, I am absolutely looking forward to you bringing him in here uh, and talking to him about this, you know, 12 to 97 show. But first, to our friends out there listening, if you're enjoying ourselves, then <laughs> please help us to continue to entertain you. Uh, by supporting the show via our new Osiris Premium offering. For what basically amounts to pocket change, you get bonus episodes of this show, as well as HF Pod, access to the entire Under the Scales catalog, ad-free episodes, meet and greets, and more. Check out osirispod.com, batch premium, or click on the link in the show notes. Thanks for saying that, Benji. I agree with everything you just said. You know, Tom, one day I will quote you on that. <laughs> but, well, you can go ahead and summon Brownie from the raging and debaucherous bad stage room that we don't really have. I'll take this opportunity to remind everyone that this season has been a really special opportunity to hear and to share stories from, you know, the, the tour where fish destroyed America. So if you have your own Fall 97 thoughts, and if you were there, you definitely do, then please send them to us. Um, you can do that by making a one-minute video clip. It's got to be that short, but uh, we will hear it as long as you post it on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and tag OsirisPod. You know, it's not really a contest, but one lucky entrant will win a handwritten copy of the lyrics to Ghost from our friend Tom Marshall. And that's me. And this, for those watching on YouTube, is Mark Brownstein. Hi, Mark, and welcome to Undermine. Hey, how's it going, guys? Superb. Hey, thanks. Thanks for joining us, man. Um, so <sighs> uh, we'll just jump right in here. And um, we've been doing this with most of the guests from this season. And I know people will actually be interested in hearing your answer. Um, give us the context you had for Fish in 1997, starting with telling us, if you could, when your first show was and what you remember about it. Oh, wow. That is some question. <laughs> um, it's kind of a loaded question because for me, it's like I, I almost when Benji asked me to come on this podcast to talk about fall 97, I reluctantly agreed. And the reason was, um, well, I, you know, sometimes they say a mark of a man is that he's able to sometimes admit that he's wrong. Right. Or the mark of a human is that they're able to look back and and, and admit that they were wrong about something. In this case, my I, I got into fish in 1992 heavily uh at at college i had known about them in 89 90 91 from being in the new york city music scene they would come through and they played i think wetlands once and i missed it and they played like the palladium on 14th street which was like right around the corner from my house and one of my friends was like i'm going to see fish and you know and i i, I at that point it was like fishbone and they were like no fish and i was like <laughs> with a ph right so that was like when what was happening then. And, um, I got all the way to college and I hadn't seen fish and, 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 um, but I got really deeply into them my freshman year at, at, at Penn. And then by the sophomore year, so 1993 was my first show. And that was at Roseland in New York city, two, five and six, I think it was 1993, two nights at Roseland. And um, we've talked about this because we that was right when Rift came out was like that was like the I guess Providence was right before that. And this was like 
maybe the third and fourth show with of of the shows where they're playing the Rift album almost in its entirety over the over a two night run. Um, mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing, life changing. You know, obviously, you know, if if you if you were to objectively look at where I am and what I do and like you know what my life has turned into, this was obviously like the pinnacle life-changing you know life alterate altering moment you know it's like they say that if you're like on a path and you're moved off of that path even just a fraction of a degree you know over a long period of time you're going to end up you know in a completely different place and that certainly is is true to this case so then a lot of shows um 1990 Three in the fall, I did like you know McAllister Auditorium and uh, the show where Dave Matthews Band opened for Fish in um, Pelham, Alabama, uh, hmm. which was I think it was Pelham or, or Ma- Oak Mountain Amphitheater, wherever that is, Pelham, yep. Alabama. Uh, which I mean, we could I could do a whole podcast just on those two nights. You know, what I mean, <laughs> like the story of like how I the whole thing from the the flight that was delayed all the way through, like not being able to find my tickets for McAllister, my friend's house to borrowing his car and almost killing his car in Pelham, Alabama. It was, it was like wild, not even to mention the music, which was out of control. (laughs) And it just gets, you're in a situation where through 1993, really all the way up into 1995, it just felt like every night was better than the last, right? It was like, how can they possibly be better tomorrow? And then they were better tomorrow. And, and to me, that was something I had never experienced with anything before where I, I I had come across a band that was, it was so different every night and it just was getting better and better. And like, I was going to see some grateful dead for context at that time. And, you know, that was for me past the peak of the grateful dead. And I just couldn't get into it. And fish just had this thing that was, it was a, 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 a trajectory, a rocket ship from, you know, those, those shows and with 2000 people right into arenas and then being able to kind of master the arena thing over those next couple of years. And, you know, I think it, 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 you know, arguably for a lot of people, it they hit a peak on twelve thirty one ninety five, which is just like this is just just unbelievable performance, right? And so, for context, that's when the Disco Biscuits started playing, right? In like you know ninety five, and so we started to focus on our basement band, right? We were basement band. We weren't even really playing shows. We would play like a. a some fraternity shows through 95 and 1996 it started to pick up a little bit and i was getting to see less and less fish in 96 you know as compared to it being the focus of my life in 1993 and 1994 every break everything was about where to get fish 1997 rolls around and I'm seeing even less of fish because now in the, in the spring of 1997, we go on a 10 show tour, our first tour. And now like, we're really focused on, this is a band. We're going to play shows. This is what, uh, you know, I remember thinking, how are we going to get our own sound? Like, that's like, how does that even happen? And part of the thing is you have to, stop going to see the things that are influencing you so much and you know f- focus more on your own thing and did follow you play wetlands wetlands then on that tour yes so i, I saw you um, on your first tour i think that our we so our wetland show was <laughs> in january of 
1997, like January, like 29th or something of 1997. And then there was a smattering of them. We were coming through yeah. wetlands, like, you know, September, uh, you were there of 97. Yeah. My birthday, September show. of 97. September and then, 27th. right. And then we were like, we were pining for like the post fish shows, like 12, 29, 12, 30, 12, you know, uh, those were the shows you really wanted to get if you were a young jam band at that point. And we didn't, it, we didn't get it in 97. Mo and like Strange Folk, they all had those <laughs> slots, but it was 1229 and 1230 of 1998. So we didn't get there that we finally got that wetlands post fish late night. And that, that was career trajectory changing kind of thing for us but in fall of 97 i went to four i'm i went to look through last night i don't even know how many shows i said to benji five but i think it might have been four and i'm not even sure there's only three that i can confirm definitely that i was at from looking at the set list and I, that may sound weird but it like with hundreds of shows and then another 1700 of biscuit shows it all kind of blends together right and so like um, when Benji asked to talk about 97, part of the reason I was reluctant was I wasn't connecting with it. The things were happening that were bothering me. Um, and so just remember to everybody who thinks this is crazy or you're an idiot or how can you even be saying this publicly? I've already stated up front that uh, that I'm the type of person that can admit when I'm wrong. But there were things that I remember. So it's like uh, it's like the Maya Angelou quote. Uh, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Right. Mm -hmm. So like I have forgotten what fish played through those shows, but I didn't forget how it made me feel and how it made me feel was confused a little bit at times. There were things that were happening at every single show, and I couldn't wrap my head around things happening at every single show. And like that was like the like yes, there were certain things that you knew inevitably were going to happen at Fish, like a, a, a big kind of dissonant jam that came out into consonance on one peaky note, right? Like you knew that this was going to happen at some point through the course of the show, and. You know, I think I was like almost like addicted to those moments. And then Fish comes out and slows everything down and starts like getting into the pocket. But there were little triggers for me, like the whammy bar delay loop um, <laughs> at the beginning of the funk jams was like a signal that they were going to be doing a certain thing over the next 10 minutes or so. And I started to, as a fan, like react to that negatively. Like it would happen. And I'd be like, Oh, now I know the next 10 minutes are going to have a funk jam. Then there's going to be a stop. And then like one of the guys, either guitar or like keyboards is going to play through the stop and then they're going to come back out. And, you know, it was almost like those moments were popping up in every jam. That's how I remember it, by the way, I've now listened and I can, I, <laughs> I know that it's, that was, they were doing the smart thing. They were picking their spots and doing this new kind of jam. But like, to me, I saw four shows that happened like eight times. And by the, by the core States, like the spectrum shows on 12, two and 12, three, I had felt jaded for the first time as a fish fan. I started to feel like I wasn't getting what everything that I needed to get out of the show. And now, I'll pause for a second to say, I do recognize now that this was about me and not about 
what fish was doing. Like all <laughs> of this is like going on in your head. Right. And it's like, I recognize now, like 20 years later that this is like, it doesn't matter what I think. Right. Like fall, like I then come to find out five or seven or eight years later that fall 97 is revered as the greatest tour of all time. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I miss? And I'll tell you what I missed. I missed great shows by one night, four times. I missed the runaway gym in Worcester by one night. I missed like every thing that people were coming out of the show and be like, last night was the greatest show I ever saw. And then I would go and the show wasn't the greatest. And that's the nature of fish, right? This is the nature of jam bands. It's the nature of improvisational music. Some nights are going to be the best and some nights aren't. And unless you go to all of them, you can't guarantee. But if you go to four or five, you can roll the dice like that. You know, you're going to like pretty much get something amazing. And you know what? I did. That's what I've come to find out. Cause I've gone back to listen to these shows and I, they were amazing. Right? Well, like I think, when you, they were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you nailed it. And, and that, you know, your experience is not singular and that a lot of people that I've talked, I mean, we, we've used the same language on this podcast in the past saying, you know, there was a period where every night felt like fish was a better and better and better band. And that may have ended after new year's Eve 95 when every single night you walked out. And another surprise that we had on this uh, season of Undermine is that there are certain shows that we learned that have are historic. And at the same time, when we go back and listen to them, Tom will tell you that if he was there that night, he would have, he would have wanted a refund from his comp ticket. Um, and, and, you know, Brownie, <laughs> there, there is uh, the, I think you're actually talking about an experience that I had with you because I remember I remember raving to you about that runaway gym. And then the next night, the third night of Worcester, which was the previous show before the show we're about to talk about, uh, was uh, an anomaly. It was a heavy metal. And I mean, I loved it, but it wasn't for everybody. Well, it, well, here's what's funny. When you said, can we talk about Fall 97? I said to myself, okay, what do I remember? I remember Bryce Jordan's show was like not that my favorite it wasn't a, a that strong of a show weird energy inside of the bryce jordan center i'm weird sure energy. when i get to listen back to it i'm sure it'll be great too because it's fish and it's it's all pretty good like there's moments of greatness in every show obviously and 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 that stands true at this point but um um the i remember that i didn't remember really much about the core state show just the spectrum show off of the top of my head but i remembered that in the show that i was at in worcester the lights turned off in the middle of 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 something i didn't remember what it was and then they went into a heavy metal jam and started singing or saying the words of sanity i remember clearly Wolfman's brother like an, and it was in this 31 minute wolfman's brother which is really a great, great like piece of music, including the heavy metal part is so out of the blue and different and the sanity and, uh, you know, like funnily, like the thing that was most memorable to me musically about that whole entire run was them singing sanity lyrics or saying sanity lyrics over this heavy metal jam. I remembered that. I remembered the music of that clearly. Um, another thing that I remember clearly upon re-listen is the 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 way that the I felt during the down with disease in the spectrum show because it brought up a lot of these feelings that I was have having about you know 
the peak, right? Like it's like all about these peak, you know, moments that you would get out of these fish shows like in 93 to 95 and every night was peakier and every night was faster and every night was better. And then like, you know, this was so different and it had a, a profound effect on me artistically that has a long, 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 long lasting effect for Disco Biscuit fans that they probably don't even know about, you know, and that was, that was the spectrum show. That's the show that you want to talk about, which is 12 too. And, and when Benji asked me, Tom, to talk about the spectrum show, I bet I said, why don't, can I talk about one of the shows that I like really remember? <laughs> um, but it's funny, you know, going back and listening to the show, of course, it jogs your memory pretty quick. I'm the same way know? as you in many ways, um, what you're saying and what you said about the, the years pr prior to this. Um, I mean, I never, until this season of, uh, undermine i never really had fall of 97 in on my radar as that is fish's best tour and i, I don't even like think that way I, I was never a tape collector and so i completely understand everything you're saying but i definitely had and benji referenced it already um i had a probably a string of three years where i thought fish was getting better every single time i saw them and i was just like this i i, I don't know anything else in the world like this but but for for sure i was there we were probably right next to each other uh at this oh, show we, 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 we were next to show. each other so many times Must like have been you know i so many I mean, not must have been were because I know who you are and like, I like, you know, and you're, and you're, you know, it's like, you're a taller guy and it's like, you stumble accidentally into like the friends and family, you know, 10th row at the man or whatever. And try not to know. step on your best friend's feet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, 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 yeah, I mean, I didn't know if how, the 92 to 95, like, you know, first generation 1.0, whatever we call it now, fish fans felt about 96, 97. But what I do know is that people who they, what I know is that fish exploded in 97 and, 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 um, and the, there was a ton of new fans. And to those people who came on right then for that next, like, you know, six years, nightfall 97 is the grail. Right. And there's yep. a lot of people that fall 97 is the grail for. And I've, you know, I like have a lot of respect for that. I've gone like I respect those fans opinions enough to have gone back over the years and, you know, listen to a lot of the 97, the Nutter Center, a lot of the shows that people consider great to and come to realize that <laughs> I, I was just messed up in my head. Like, you know, I couldn't like it was it was different and it was great. It was just like hard to come from that better every night, like stretch into what felt like maybe I, I didn't know if it was better every night. Oh, I didn't left know. Turn. They definitely yeah. they made a turn. They, they made a turn. Well, you know what's Mark funny? What's funny is I don't remember the music, but it's like not it's like my memory of what was going on in that week. Like I remember Benji clearly backstage with Mike Gordon at the TLA talking about the runaway gym from Worcester and comparing it to the 50 minute uh, meet that Mo had just recorded and put out. And <laughs> like, I think he was I can't remember which one was longer, but I think meat was longer. And Benji was like, you almost beat meat or whatever it was. <laughs> I remember that. But, but I remember that. And I remember this amazing experience. Experience that I had a friend who worked at the Spectrum named Melissa Wilson, who was friends with uh, Mike and 
over the course of that, like Philly run took me to the four seasons and brought me to Mike's room. And we went out to the bus and I remember everything from that. So vividly, all of the conversations that I had with Mike. And so it's like my, my memory of that week is it's actually like objectively one of the better weeks that I remember of anything that's happened in my life, but like the music kind of blended together somehow. Oddly, like there is like outside of, of certain things, but, but it is a great show. 12 to you. Are we go? How do you go through it? What's your process? Well, Tom? <laughs> well we uh, let's see, let's talk about that first set. I mean, it opened with buried alive and it had, a wild segment right off the bat with uh, Down With Disease into Makisupa, Policeman, a short but incendiary chalk dust torture, and then a ghost that was like the first uh, cow funk showcase of the night. Uh, Mark, uh, just stay, sticking on on this set, what, what did you think of, of set one? Okay, so I, I had some issues with it, and uh, like, again, that were issues with me, but like, here's the things that that kind of were hard for me the first of all buried alive was great like i love a great buried alive opener and it comes and it hits and it's great and then I, you know the excitement at the beginning of down with disease um was palpable and the jam actually was a great jam but then there's that moment in the jam where he goes into the um reverse whammy delay and i had thought at that moment i was like oh we're going into like a cow funk um section here and and i and i was admittedly jaded about the cow funk sections at that point and i need to give you a little context i went to i'm from manhattan and the and and i went to jazz school in manhattan at the um, new school um for for two semesters after my freshman year um while i was getting into fish i was learning about jazz from all these like jazz greats right like the guys that a lot of them aren't alive anymore because this is 1992 they were like set chico hamilton and you know reggie workman all these dudes some of them are alive they they um and jazz is my world and classical too you know which like this is my world but there's all these like new york city bands um like even boston bands that are playing at the wetlands like mexican mud band and chakra and the authority and um who i love the authority they were my favorite band at the time but um nonetheless like they were these funk milo z they were like funk bands that were based off of funk guitar chords right and i loved it i was really deeply into the scene i went to see all that stuff but when i discovered fish they were musically to me on a different level than that they were on this um jazz classical level and i put i, I put that on a pedestal over people trying to play funk from like the seventies now and the nineties. Like to me, it was like, Oh, now there's people trying to play this funk music from the seventies and it's good, but it's like kind of watered down funk a little bit, the jam band scene funk and all the other jam bands, um, and a C pods, uh, free beer and chicken, Percy Hill. They all relied on the Wawa funk guitar as their like backbone. It was like the backbone of the jam band scene and everybody, they all did it. You know, and we were like, like we kind of pushed against that. We we like resisted against being a Wawa funk band at that time because that was like what it was, and we didn't want to be like everybody else. Then Fish comes along with like this high insensibility of of jazz and classical music, and like compositional like 
beauty. I can and, see where this is going. <laughs> all of a sudden, they, then they drop into suddenly funk. they're playing wah wah funk guitar, which was <laughs> what I was going not to see them for. I was going to them because they were not that. So now. Listen, Wah Wah Funk Guitar is the fucking greatest thing of all time. And like, you know, like at any time where I feel like there's a moment in the Biscuit Show where we're maybe straying too far or need a little bit of direction or need a little bit of a rhythm, I'll give Barber the like look down at his Wah Wah or he'll just know. Like he knows when to go over and get on the Wah Wah and just center us and ground us in like a pocket. And that's now. I get it now because it's 25 years later and I've gone down a deep, deep hole, like, you know, deep into the, the, the funk hole, like, you know, over the last bunch of years. But at this point I was trying to get away from it. So I hear that and down with disease and I'm like, Oh, here we go. But that, <laughs> but I think even worse than going into the cow funk for me was they kind of petered the jam out and then, and then, kind of slipped into Maki Super, which actually on re-listen is a sick transition. It's super cool, but that's not what I wanted. What I wanted was for them to take Down With Disease to the very peak of Down With Disease, come back in, play the guitar line, and sing the chorus and, and play the end of the song. Yeah. Like, that's the payoff of sitting through, you know, 17 minutes of guitar noodling there's a payoff to all of this jamming and 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 they changed the formula it was like whoa the formula is different here now as an artist 25 years later i have the utmost respect for the conviction that it takes to change the formula and stick with it and and actually prove that the early fans were wrong like they you know it's like that well, uh, Benji says maybe maybe not cuz well I mean I know, don't think the early fans are wrong like I remember in 97 it was almost like Mark with your band I remember I specifically and vividly remember that you guys were searching to your credit immense credit and probably the you know in my mind one of the, the the biggest reasons why you you achieved the success you did is you were searching for something original but by doing that i remember at the time electronic music which wasn't something i was into but some of some of the crowd that you were hanging out with was and uh, you know and i remember you talking and having conversations with your bandmates about hey let's take this element and put this with this and with fish to me after 95 you know, I mean, that to me, maybe because that's when I got into them as well as a similar timeline as you. And they were just so unbeatable. you're jaded, too. You're no, jaded in 97. It was it was, it was, it was a, a, a but it was a different way of looking at it because in 97, it turned into a dance party. And well, it was, that's and, I was going to say for your dance style, Benji, that cow funk <laughs> is perfect. That yeah, became the that no, became the bedrock upon which well, your fish experience was built on was that well, slow down funk. You and Carl and the whole crew, if they would go into a funk beat, the it erupts. It erupts. But that's, I mean, but Brownie, the, the the dance moves you're talking about, I literally and they they it was from the moment dance. You know, it was because the band was playing cow funk. That, that influenced and the moment dance came out of what was Black the song Eye Katie. Black Eyed Katie, Katie, which yep. was kind of the jam that exactly. we're talking about. That's the, exactly that right. Cow funk jam with the yep. stops and stuff. Now, do they mark Black Eyed Katie in the set list, or is that just like the jam that keeps popping up from show it, to show? It's Black Eyed Katie. Yep. Okay. It, has a, it had so, a name. Yep. 
Okay. So um, for me, like it all sounded like Black Eyed Katie at that point. Like they would go into the cow funk and it was like they were playing Black Eyed Katie again and again and again. And um, so, but they didn't, they didn't peak that disease. And for me, that was like a defining moment because I remember the feeling of like wanting it. And then I was even thought maybe the end of disease is going to come back at the end of the second set. And I always view, or at the end of the first set. And I just always viewed that as a missed opportunity in that moment. Like, can you imagine how the spectrum would have erupted if like at the end of say, you know, taste, they started like, you know, working their way back towards disease, uh, that towards disease and then peak the disease out. I mean, it, it would have been just, it would have been, you know, pandemonium in that place had they done that, right? But like, uh, you know, again, like I'm not deciding what happens at a fish show, but I do have that power at our own concerts. And right, so like we took that moment and we were like, hey, listen, let's just remember to close things up at the end of the set. Just like I remember <laughs> wanting it. And then we were able to turn around and, you know, and Let's you have know, a band unlike Fish that promises a payoff. We'll we'll actually pay. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, listen, I don't know. I I don't know. That, Fish has done pretty good for no, themselves, and no, it's no, like no. you know that's that, that tension it releases. That tension it releases is what you know is what drawed you know drew so many of us in to begin with, and and that payoff is is you know. Uh, it, that payoff made to a rich man if it happens. So, what um, do you think about the chalk dust, though? Do you think like the chalk dust had enough tension and release to to take that? Like for me, that was like the that was the jam of the set. That was kind of like a ninety three, ninety four, ninety five jam, right? It was. I don't even know if it's considered a jam, but it's just like it's a chalk it, dust. It was right? a jam, and going back and and re listening to to all these ninety seven shows, you know, we think of it as the Cal Funk tour. But they still displayed all the, they had a bag of tricks. And so they added a new trick and they were focusing on the new trick because it was like getting a new toy where you want to play with it all the time. But they still used all of the bag of tricks that they had. And so they still would do tension and release jams. They still would have the humor. They still would have, Fishman would still come out and play vacuum solos. And, and they had all the elements of fish. They just were, were adding to it. You know, Mark uh, and Tom, I'm looking at the time and uh, I, I'm about to take us to a break. But uh, to I a very it. quick commercial break. But before we do it, uh, Brownie, you mentioned the 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 taste in that set, and you know that reminded me that Tom, for twenty five years, this is an opportunity for me to put you on the hot seat because for twenty five years uh -oh. I've wondered this. Uh, you wrote Taste, right? And then Fishman, I think, wrote Fog That Surrounds, and then the the two were merged. You know, and it was the same music for Fog That Surrounds, and Fishman was singing it. And then uh, we'll, we'll see where, where this ends up. But uh, you, you write the song with Trey. Fish plays it throughout the summer of 95. Uh, and it's not an easy song to play. It's, you know, different instruments are playing different rhythms. It, it's, it's uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. And, and then complicating it further, during the first few versions of Fall 95, it completely shapeshifted into what seemed like an entirely different song with an entirely different name, you know, uh, because Fishman took over, over the vocals with his own lyrics. Uh, when that happened, did, uh, did Trey give you a heads up or, or did you find out by surprise? Were you to show and they start playing taste and then Fishman starts singing and you're like, what's this? 
Uh, it's kind of like, um, is it vultures with potato to the throat? All of a sudden something will happen <laughs> and I have no idea why, but you opened a huge can of worms here and I think we should take that break so I can figure out my answer. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I want to say, I did not know that taste came. I forgot that taste came before fog that, uh, that surrounds. Cause I remember seeing fog that surrounds. Oh no. Cause I saw it in Jones beach fog that surrounds and I was confused. I, I remember the confusion. And I think, of I it think not being, I think there's confusion and I think it's based on listening to Benji ask that question. I think there's a mistake in there, but let's, let's address it. We'll after, it. Let's after take the, the break. break. <laughs> hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, distrokid. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. And we are back. We are here with the Disco Biscuits, Mark Brownstein, and our mutual friend and co-host, Benji Eisen, who just asked me, about taste, the song taste turning into fog that surrounds before it turned back into taste. And like I said before, I think there was a misconception um, that Fish wrote a song that was combined with taste. I don't think that really ever happened. Now, I can't explain why suddenly there's a song, Fog That Surrounds, and even one called Taste That Surrounds. I guess different performances were given different titles, but to me, they're all taste. So let me tell you what I think happened. Um, Scott Herman and my lyric writing pal and I had had given Trey a book filled with hundreds of poems and and poem fragments called The Salamander Prince and Trey used this to fuel his songwriting all the way through Ghost and Farmhouse. Um and then we gave him another book called Walls of the Cave with more songs but that's another story. But so for the recording of Billy Breathes, Fish got really experimental in the studio um with uh Steve Lillywhite and John Sickett and they created this long amazing piece 
of music they called the blob. And it was really cool. And eventually swept away, steep um, taste. And I think Prince Caspian and possibly a few more songs that never saw the light of day came out of that primordial blob of, of music. Um, but they needed lyrics. So Trey just threw his copy of, of Salamander Prince into the room <laughs> and the band like grabbed it and started going through it. And it was the first time the band members had access to to Scott's and my poems. And so they later used it for uh, like Frankie says and some other songs too. But anyway, back to taste. I wrote all those lyrics, but I do think they came from two separate poems and maybe fish brought the second wow. poem into the song taste. Uh, or maybe he was just the singer of that second part. But either way, the part that causes the controversy in taste is the part that Fish sings. And it's after the, I'm out and I will stay here alone and without someone controlled by the phone and TV because what it's doing to me is fine because I can see through the lines. So right after that, it goes into the controversial part, which is, ooh, ooh, step into space. But I kind of figure out what what's happening I went back and figured out what's happening. So he's singing every other line of a poem that I'd written the full thing, but he's, he only took his parts out. So I think at one point, Trey was probably doing a back and forth with him where he would sing one line and then fish would sing the other. But what wound up in taste was just fish's half. So Benji, I just sent you um, the original poem and I was thinking maybe we could help people make sense of this if i do trey's line which didn't wind up in taste and you do fishman's line and we'll read if, the whole poem if it's the uh just the lyrics that fishman sings i can probably do it by heart but okay i'll, I'll pull this up <laughs> okay here it goes so so um this should make sense that the lines i read never wound up Wait, in the final song well, uh, one question before i start this you said earlier when you were singing the lyrics uh because i can see through the lines is yeah. that right? Yeah. Okay. I, I always, there's always this ambiguity to me in that it was, can I, I can see through the light. I can't see through the light. I can see through the lies. Uh, I, I think can it see was through a, the lines. I think the line TV, like someone controlled by the phone and TV, but I oh, can right. see through the lines of the TV to, oh. to the other bigger oh. picture. Um, <laughs> I always assumed it was, I can see, I can see through the light. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Through the light. Yeah. That's a good that that's a fine uh, misinterpretation as far as I'm concerned. Um, all right, so I've here, been misinterpreting you for 25 years, <laughs> and, and we're going to go for we're coming into our 40th year of misinterpretation coming up. Yeah. Um, all right, here we go. I'm going to read you Trey's part, which didn't make it in the song. Benji's part is what is in taste. Okay, down on myself again. Step into space. Wondering how I can alter my place in this hall of creation that someone else made. Who's probably wondering why I have stayed and never progressed into things I could be if I found the right partner or if I could see beyond my four walls into fog that surrounds my need for redemption pins me to the ground. <laughs> so if you take out just every other line like Fish did, it becomes now this are bizarre we sure? Are we sure there's not a version out there where I think we got to go back and start listening to the early versions of taste? Because I would like to find a version where where the whole poem is in there. I think yeah, the, whole the the yeah, the whole ones the the very beginning of Fall '95 when fans, myself included, when we were calling it the fog that surrounds, it was uh -huh. you know and, it had and I all remember those. the. It had, it had all the lyrics that that we just went Excellent. both parts that Fishman sang, and because Fishman sang it, 
it yes. was a popular, I guess, misconception now, but that I've had all the, until today. And that's that the, that Fishman must have written those lines and co-opted the song for his own purposes. Well, <laughs> I got to tell you that I was going to 100% go and find that because in my head, there was no way that I hadn't heard your lines before, oh, Tom. Okay, I was okay. 100% I, to the point where I heard them coming before you said them. So <laughs> I think was, I got so was, used to the studio version of Taste that that became the definitive version for me. And that doesn't right. have those. So, so yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I never heard fog that surrounds or taste that surrounds. Maybe they had them playing in the in the Midwest somewhere. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I guess versions with all those lyrics have have been played and have been called things other than taste. But to me, they're just different versions, different incarnations of taste. Yeah, it's uh, all taste to me too. It feels like that's it, it felt like it was just taste. They kept yeah. changing the name and they needed yeah. to that like as a fan, it felt more like they were trying to figure out what the name of the song was. Yeah. Than that yeah. the song was dramatically changing. Well, it was a, what a uh, it's a wild ride. <laughs> um, you know, Tom, <laughs> you you wrote it and uh, you know, I I will have you know that 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 fish.net notates the evolution as as taste and then fog that surrounds and then and then taste that surrounds but then by this night that we're talking about 12 to uh 97 it's uh it's back to taste again uh with that extra fishman verse that, that we just did the lines that, that i w- was doing oh. and you know uh i re-listened to the show of course you know the other night and uh it's a great taste it's typical of of taste in that it's it's typically great it doesn't uh, you know, it's typically straightforward, but uh, but it still is just a phenomenal song, and and what all the instruments are doing. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's the first set song. Yeah, and to to your point too, Benji, it's like just goes to show like how your memories can be skewed over the years because like they hit taste here and they just hit it perfectly, right? And like um and even and even dirt before and even divided sky before that like really if you want to go through the whole set like the ghost had the cow funk um and the only thing that listening back i would have said to myself like i would have liked again for ghost to have come back around and finished rather than kind of um i guess not like jarringly because it 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 sounded like the jam just kind of went major. And then suddenly like about two bars later, it's like, Oh wow. We're like in divided sky here, you know? And then they nail divided sky. I mean, nail it. Right. And I, it's like, these were the days when you could count on divided sky, just being perfect every time. And like, as a fan, that perfection of these incredibly intense compositional sections is what, I mean, in a lot of ways uh, drove me as a musician to try to continuously get better because you're seeing these people doing like the seemingly impossible. Right. And then dirt, you know, dirt hit and I'm like, never not a fan of a first set dirt. And then taste was perfect, but like objectively it wasn't like a blow it out, you know, first set would you consider this like a blow it out like over the top wow i can't believe how great this first set was or is it this is a good set i i think it was a good set i think um you know and there's there's different ways of judging it but if you if you look at like which songs um have been recognized with a jam chart (laughs) they all occur in the second set of this show 
there's like four that have the extra analysis that jam charts affords and uh that's something on fish.net and um there were none in that first set even though i like you mark i i, I like the first set quite quite a bit um but we took the second we took our set break already so let's dive into set two um yeah, set two yeah so mark the meat of this second set is a segued mike's groove that has the, the pretty wild sequence of of Mike's simple dogface boy Yamar, and then finally Wikipog, and none of these versions you could call normal. What were your thoughts about that that night? Well, I I like the tension in Mike's song. I like the sort of understated peak that they hit and it wasn't like an over the top like like um tension release like into a massive like one note and maybe even like replay that out three times to like a bigger one note and then ultimately you like the note where you're like oh i thought we hit the note and then you're like oh i thought we hit the note and then it's like here's the note it's undeniable that's like 2001 that's like 2001 yeah exactly and 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 so they did like kind of attention thing and then they come up in this in in before um the segue into simple they hit like a note but it's not like the biggest one you've ever heard and then they drop back down into like that f sharp right and it almost sounds like they're about to go right there into this into whatever's coming next who knows what's going to come next I, simple is a good guess though if you're at the show you know you at this point you think simple might be the thing and um but no they don't they kind of wind it back up again and then it starts to get out there like kind of uh, dissonant uh and then ultimately it drops down into simple and the thing about simple that is simple's an epic beautiful song but it's a reverse peak right like it starts kind of at this high place and then the jam like consistently goes down and energy oh. and down and energy and down and energy right and that's like the opposite of what fish formulaic you know improv was and this was kind of the first song that ever was brought into the i mean maybe the only song that i could think of in fish's catalog i admittedly don't know this their later catalog as well as i know the early catalog but where they started high up in a in a in a glorious kind of peaky place and then went in the other direction i never thought um, of simple that way it does make sense like it's like triumphant well, in the beginning we've got it yeah, simple, and, and then we got it well, and and then, especially on this night because you know the one of the hallmarks of the font was when you know one of the hallmarks of this tour was when people would drop out of the of the jam right and all of a sudden it just be too and in this simple in a very understated way there's this this section where it is Trey and Page, and and it's not like in Ghost or you know one of these big moments when all of a sudden it's very obvious that everybody drops out except maybe you know Mike Mike and Fish or or Page and you know in, instead it just it wasn't a breakdown. Suddenly, That's it, it a, breakdown. a breakdown. In Ghost, yeah. it's a cow funk breakdown, right? That yep. was like the right. This wasn't. I mean, this is technically considered a breakdown. But, but it, not, yeah. it flowed naturally out of the simple into like kind of the two of them just jamming, right? But go back and listen to some simples from like the very beginning through those first couple of years. Like they formulaically brought the energy down throughout the course of the jam in a very beautiful, methodical, you know, simple way. Um, and uh, but it wasn't 
the start at the bottom and work your way up to um to a peak peak and so i didn't know where the set was going to go at this point right right and then dog face boy kind of throws you for a loop in the middle of a second set right i'm like okay this is but it's dog face boy and you're doing it um the yamar actually like the jam gets really sick like it's like yamar goes in some places and i think um the what happens at like what happens next was what threw me for the loop the most in the set, which was they jammed Yamar pretty seamlessly back into Weekapog, but they're playing Weekapog at a very slow tempo, yeah. very slow, and almost you don't notice how slow it is until uh, it, you know. So they come into Weekapog. Trey plays the chords, right? Like the four times, and then they start singing it. And when they're singing it, you could really feel how much slower it is than a regular week of almost to the point where it's like a different song, but it's beautiful and cool and different. Um, but I can see myself at that time, like just wanting to hear Weekapog the way Weekapog's mm-hmm. supposed to be, right? And like I know, like myself as a fan, I like Weekapog is the payoff now we're talking about the payoff again you go through through uh mike's hydrogen or mike's you know jerusalem or mike's you know simple or whatever goes in the middle there in, in between mike's and weekapog and there's something you know fun and weird and you know dynamic most importantly like that's the thing about the mike's weekapog it's like mike's is dark right and 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 sick and then whatever happens in the middle, it's dynamic. It's not meant to be like the peak of the set. It's not. It's the it's the antithesis of that intentionally. It's the spot where your friend, you know, hands you a bowl or a cigarette if that's what was your thing back in the 90s or like whatever. <laughs> Everybody takes a drink and whatever it is, that's your moment to take a breath. And then it stops and Mike comes in with Weekapog and it's like crazy fast and furious and energetic. And this Weekapog was decidedly not fast. Um, and actually the end of this Weekapog was faster than like a regular Weekapog. <laughs> it starts slower than a regular Weekapog and it ends faster. And I, and I, I can tell you from being in a band why that is. It's because when you, when you're not starting it from scratch with the person who starts it, like setting the tempo every time you're feeling the tempo out. And so if you're slower, when you hit those changes, you're slower. And I think they did the right thing and let, let it like, not just immediately speed it up and like, let it be what it was. But when you're speeding up to find the tempo, it's very easy to pass that tempo. Like, you know, like try finding the right spot it, while you're speeding up, it tends to blow past that. You tend to overshoot. Like, That's cool. Yeah, but the week, the end of this week of Pog actually is very fast. It's like in the, I don't know, I got to go with a BPM, but it's like, sounds like it's above 140, maybe even as fast as 150 or 160 beats per minute, which like the biscuits have a lot of peaks in that range, like, you know, basis for a day and Munchkin invasion and above the waves where like, it's, those are like the faster songs, the faster peaks. And I, I, you know, as a disco biscuit, I really appreciate how fast that week pod got. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and it was shredding, right? Like it sounded it, for a moment, like they were going to go into Isabella. Yeah. I didn't hear that because I'm not as heady as you, but like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, like (laughs) I didn't hear that, but like there's a distinct moment there. On the slower side, on the on the the, faster side. 
Okay, on the faster yeah. side. I mean, it really ramps up. And for me, like that moment where it goes from slow to fast is like the pinnacle moment of this right. set. That's mm. like the that's the moment that like hit me and like the okay, here we go. Here we go. Like, you know, and it's like I don't want to sound like, like the only thing I want them to do is peak. Certainly I don't. Like I like the the I like the journey a, as much as the just destination, you know. Like I that's uh, as an improv musician, I pr- almost prefer the journey part as I do to the peak part. And as a fan, you know, like the real magic occurs in the journey. Absolutely. And Absolutely. and the peak is just a it's just like a way to wrap it up and cap it and say it's we're done. Mark. Yeah. It's, it's how you say we're done. It's the end of the yeah. so they really did a just an incredible, incredible job coming out of that slow week of pog into that fast week of pog. And I mean, if you want to hear a week of pog that's a little too slow and a little too fast, <laughs> this is your week of pog, right? <laughs> this is the one. I mean, and I'd say like the Yamar, you know, um, the combination of the the simple and the Yamar and the like. What are the Star jams? The, the, what are the four that go on to uh, on the what do you call it? The jam, jam chart charts. Or the jam? Um, and what are the four that are on the jam charts? Bike, simple, Yamar, and Wikipog. And I think yep. Dogface was even mentioned as being unusual and and the most unusual Dogface boy that I know of. Yeah, and being beautifully segued into and out of. Yeah. Beautifully segued into and out of, right? And very unusual. Yeah. But in like unusual in a way that almost like was confusing. Like, again, well, normally like it's like, like, you know, to me, it's a, an acoustic song or a very quiet song. And this one had the whole band. And, and I think even Trey might have surprised the band start when he started to sing it against those chords. I think he got them used to it one time around. He played the chords to, to, to let them know something was coming and, and maybe, maybe they picked it up. They probably did, but, uh, I didn't. I remember being very confused by it when they started singing it because, yeah. you know, you don't recognize that that's what it is until, yeah. you know, in hindsight, but cause it's a different tempo and the, and the, and the just everything about it. it's an alternate version of yeah. it that was kind of invented and made up on the spot. And then not that we need to do almost the- like the sanity the night before the, yeah. the show before. Right. It was like, almost like this is what Trey was doing in these improv Actions was like you know reinventing songs exactly in, right. in, yeah. in the middle of these jams and, and, and bits and pieces of them, which of course the distributors are so adept at. Now you know not that we need to do the play by play because this podcast is more about the color commentary. But then we have the bouncing around the room, and then Chop does torture puts the exclamation mark on character on, zero. On, I mean, thank Char- you. That's what I meant. Yeah, character. Yeah, zero. and I feel like it's an interesting choice for them to then after that week of pug, which you know arguably could have been the end of a short set. Like at that point in the set, I was like, "Wow, we're done!" Right? And I they really were doing four that. song second sets at, at, on this tour. They were only. An I hour thought we long. were done. I was halfway yeah. out the door. I was like, <laughs> but I I felt like after that because like bouncing and character zero. And sample all kind of fit into like the like the heady fans like bucket of like you know um, like poppier songs that you know maybe that not everybody's looking forward to. like happy love all three songs happy to hear any of them at any point in any set right but they're not the big improv like launch, launch be pad the or what they're just like the it's not the highlight of the show it's just a nice 
in their their great filler songs. They're, they're right? also like, great these are, fish songs. You know, they're they're great fish songs. They're calling cards saying this is what we do. But then live, maybe one of them in a set. Right. Like so, seeing three come in rapid succession like that at the very end of the show, like I like as a fan, I was a little confused there too. I was like, "Oh wow, that was like a weird ending." Like after that crazy jammed out set, they kind of decided to just turn on a dime again and 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 not do any more jams and just straight up like bouncing character zero ginseng sample and you know at the show it's fun and like sing along you know i'm singing all of the songs on replay even better like you know like even better on replay it's like i'm definitely singing it all and um you know but it's a lot of fish Fish is a long show, right? Biscuits yeah. are a long show. Like jam bands are a long show. And sometimes yeah. you might, as a musician, I can say like, sometimes you might get to that point where it's like, we've played four jam chart worthy jams in the last hour and 15 minutes. It's time to put an exclamation point on the set with a bouncing character zero. And, you know, I don't think like, I think like arguably they could have just done character zero out of after week of pog and been like, Oh, here's that. This is definitely be the set closer. Right. You know that if they play bouncing, something else is going to come after that, but they could have, they didn't have to play the bouncing, which actually is nice because it's almost like a double encore kind of vibe. It's like a, it's like a double, double encore at this show. Right, well, like Weekapog's yeah. like the end of the set, and then they do like a double encore. Then they go off and do another double encore. That's kind of really what happened here. Mark, you talked about how jam bands like to have long shows, and jam band podcasts can be long too. And we're we're getting there, but but there's a few more questions that we just need to ask you uh, very very quickly for the exclamation mark at, at the end here, and that's that you know this is something that that uh, I actually can't wait to hear, hear what you have to say about it because. I know that you have a wonderful memory of Mike Jordan from this. This I think the two days because you were uh, you you at one point I think you were on the bus with them or in the hotel room. Can you tell us the story about about uh, him, him introducing you to to quote unquote the funk? So this is the kind of this is like the culmination of everything that happened on fall of of ninety seven um tour. Although there was still. Bryce Jordan Center to come on the 9th of December after this. But the culmination was I was jaded, but not jaded enough to jump at the chance immediately to go hang out with Mike Gordon. When my friend called me and said, Hey, you want to come hang with Mike Gordon? I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I, well, of course I do. And so I, I head down to the city, you know, the old four seasons down on, on, on uh, Benjamin Franklin Parkway. And I, I'll, I remember this experience like so vividly, but like, when you know, right this? down when, so that I think this had to have been the day off, um, either before the show or after the show. I don't remember which one, but it was like a day off because everybody was milling about, you know, the band was like it, milling it, it about. It would have been right before. It would have been between Worcester and and uh, this show, December 2nd. Day off between Worcester. And, so, and here's what happens. We go into the room and he's got a little basket on his bed. And in the basket is like his folded like underwear and t 
t-shirt like that like that they did and i'm like wow these guys are fucking rock stars they get a, <laughs> they get their laundry done and brought in a basket and put on their bed right it's you know um we sit down and we start talking uh about music and he and and he tells me that his favorite ba- he's like i'm gonna put my favorite band on for you right now great so he puts on the gray boy all-stars and I'm like, Grey Ball All-Stars. I love the Grey Ball All-Stars. You know what I mean? Like, saw them at Wetlands with, with uh, um, that was the name of the band. I don't even remember who they opened for. That's how good they were, right? It's like when they were like, they stole the show there at that Wetlands show. And uh, he, like, gives me his bass and, you know, hands me his bass and he his friends there. And he's, like, starts quizzing me, like, pop quiz, but, like, remediary questions like what's the second most important note in the scale of the bass and i'm like <laughs> the five and he's like that's right the five and i'm like oh thank god i got the mike gordon quiz right you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh and i just kind of like you know plucked around on the bass probably did a little slap and a pop or whatever bass players do to show another bass player that they're like you know have some semblance of an idea what they were doing which by the way i did not you know i had <laughs> I had been to music school, but I was learned how to play upright bass in music school. And so like, I literally went to music school, learned a bunch of theory about jazz and then came back and still didn't know how to play bass and like had to learn. I had to learn on the road and that's like, you know, 95, 96, 97. So I'm really just learning this instrument at this point. Um, but it, he was really he was so nice to me like he was like you know he was like really like welcoming and um mostly so focused on music like i remember that like mike is solely focused on music and our like conversations and then he's like yeah Yo, you want to head out to the bus smoke some weed and i was like do i ever like you know what i mean like young fish i'm 24 years old and fish is my favorite band for the last five years i've seen like 80 shows and the bass players inviting me as like a contemporary musician to come with him and smoke weed on the bus um and you know they it, it was such a you know crazy experience we walked downstairs pages on the street right I'm like we walk out and he's like oh page how's it going and page is like hey they introduced me to page i'm like i can't believe i'm meeting page right now and uh only time i think i've really ever met page was right there you know i've been around him a bunch of different times but you know i i to be honest i try not to talk to fish like i you know i i've been around the guys a lot and have talked to mike you know the most of anybody in the band but like i i find this is gonna sound weird because like everybody's always trying to become friends with the other musicians that are like you know that i i want to keep fish on a pedestal i want to keep fish like not i don't want them to become my friends i've never wanted that like i know like you know i have friends who are friends with them and easily can like kind of push the issue but i just kind of have decidedly pulled back from that, you know, and, and, and if I ever see them, I just don't bother them. Like, you know, I saw Mike on the street in jazz fest last year and like, you know, he stopped to say hi and we talked for 30 seconds and he went on his way. And it was like, you know, another time at jazz fest, we like really got a good hang at a show. And like, it's like, if that happens, great, but I'm not, I'm not trying to push this issue with my favorite band. They are my favorite band and I want them to be, I want to be a fan. It's like, I want to keep that fan creator relationship sacred. Um, I like that you became friends with Mike though. You know, the the bass players are pals. That's cool. 
I, it's just the one, he's the guy that's there. Like he's the one that comes out. He's the one that shows up and like, you know, he, I, I've ended up. So let's go back to the, so we're walking up. The buses are like in the middle of the parkway. Right. And we like have to go out and he's like entering his code. I've never been on a tour bus before. Right. And we go in the tour bus and we go like through, walk through the bunks. Right. And he sit, we sit down in the back and I like, amazingly, like, I don't think this, they're at the point yet in their career where they each have their own tour bus. Right. Nope, they're nope. like, all, they're, they're all in this the tour bus, bus together. Yep. And, uh, and uh, which is wild to me, like thinking that they're playing like MSG and like and the spectrum and they don't have their own buses because now there's no band plays like arenas of that size and doesn't everybody have their own bus but it's the the fact was that was what led to this whole cow funk thing right this is the insight that i got from mike which i feel so special to have had this experience but he sits me down and he takes out this little glass bowl and packs it with like some weed and hands it to me and he's like so you know after every show this is what we do. We come back here into this back lounge and he, and he like presses this VHS tape into this VHS machine. He's like, turns the thing on. He's like, we got this video here and Fishman makes the whole band watch the whole entire video every single night. You want to watch it? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Like, do I want to sit with Mike Gordon in the back of the fish tour bus and watch the video that he watches with his bandmates after every single show every night? <laughs> like, and if this ever gets back to Mike, like I apologize if like, if you like, if some of these details might be fuzzy or whatever, but like I, these, everything I'm saying is how I remember it. We sit kind of in silence. Cause now he got stoned. And I got stoned. And so like now it starts to get a little awkward because we're now it's like I'm a, I am a big fan of his and now I'm stoned and he's stoned and we stop talking really. And we just zone in on this video and he plays this whole video. It's like 45 minutes or like an hour, you know, packs a bowl once or twice more. And we sit down there and, and like in the middle of the video, they're like, playing. it's James Brown, by the way. Reveal. Yeah, what's the, a, what's, the, what's the video? <laughs> the video is a live James Brown performance. <laughs> and it's this incredible live James Brown performance where he, it's like all, you know, like if you know James Brown at all, it's like, it's heavy James Brown. It's like, you know, with the JBs and the whole entire thing. But there's this one section of the video where they're all in the funk and they're just sitting in the funk. And then James Brown like calls like, you know, a breakdown, like breakdown, two, three. And then the whole thing breaks and the guitarist starts playing like funk guitar by himself. And then they come out of it, boom, you know, and he's like, this is like the section that, you know, we're all like trying to like, mimic when we're and he was basically said like we're watching this and our we're making an attempt to slow ourselves down and and play funk authentically by you know copying the master you know and like and like how can you argue with that right it was like once it was, you know, straight from the horse's mouth. Like this is an uh, this is an attempt to incorporate a different style of music that we are maybe aren't the best at playing or weren't the best at playing or just never like did this before. But we're copying a James Brown performance into our shows every night, 
And that was like the gen, like, you know, that was like the inspiration for all of this cow funk, you know, according to Mike, you know, of course. Well, Trey just said the same thing. Yeah. We just interviewed Trey and he said the same thing. He mentioned specifically the bus parties and that James Brown was the fuel for those parties. He said the okay, exact so, same thing. Yeah. So, okay. so you're, you're vin- vindicated, validated all the, all the V words. I feel, I feel like, yeah, I feel, I mean, I remember God, it y'all. so, <laughs> I remember it so vividly and it's like funny to listen back to the show and be like, I can like hear Mike's voice, all the words that he was telling me about this James Brown thing. Cause it was shattering for me. It was like earth shattering. Like, Oh God, this is what's going on. This is why you guys have changed. And they hadn't even really changed. They were just like once or twice a night, we're doing this thing. And and I yeah, relate right. deeply to this because the disco biscuits really haven't changed either. But like, like we do our tractor beam jam in the second set for like a year or two, where it's like, we take a spot and it's like our drum space, but our drum space is like a composed house mix of like from like a like carl cox set or something we'll take like 10 minutes of a carl cox house music dj set and we'll learn it note for note and then we'll play it and to us it's like banging it's house music we we pick great segments learn them note for note and perform them but it becomes like um predictable that that's going to happen in the show every night. And then, you know, like, you know, so I I relate deeply to like being like inspired by something musically and then like changing what you're doing in a very small part of a four hour show and then having fans like me be like, what are they doing? And then like, you go back and listen. It was like for like 17 minutes out of four hours, they put this one thing in that became a little bit predictable and it affected my whole experience on that tour. And like, you know, it gives me empathy for the fans who go through this with the disco biscuits when and we like try to make a big change and mm-hmm. I have, and the fans like resisted or like, you know, have like resistance to what we're trying to do. I have like a, a intense, deep amount of like empathy and connection for what they're going through. And, you know, and I just like, you know, I guess I would say like put some context on it and like, you know, listen back, you know, most of what's happening is what you, what you've, what happened here was what I was going for. Like they did deliver the payoff was there, but something was wrong with me. And, but you know, like, again, it seems like something was wrong with a lot of us, Benji. It seems like we were, we were all having this internal struggle about like what our favorite band was deciding to do. And, um, and you know what you get to eventually is, you know, you're, you're a fan. You don't get to decide. Yeah, well, you get to, you know. Mark, we, we are, I, I'm keeping an eye on the time and we do have to wrap up. However, no, there, there's one just more? one or two more questions that, that I okay. think that Tom and I uh, have to ask. And that is, there's just on this exact same thread that you're talking about, even though it, it, we're making a jump, but uh, jumping ahead by 24 years, actually, actually jumping ahead by more than 4,000 years, technically, uh, I was with you and some of our, you know, lifelong friends to witness the one and only time that this band Sci-Fi Soldier has ever performed on planet Earth. Um, you know, and we had masks on at the time, but I still remember seeing you smile from underneath, under, underneath the, the mask. What were some of your thoughts on Sci-Fi Soldier? Just very quickly. 
Yeah, so when I realized that Fish was going to play a set of music, you know, not unlike Cascot Boxed, where they were creating a new band and creating all new music and going to play it for for an, an arena full of people, again, you know, like not as courageous as like going to war, but like of, on like a creative artistic level, a courageous, you know, brave move to do something like that. And um I had gone through the mental process of seeing Cascot Vox, you know, what was that two years or three years or previous to that um, in the same room uh, in much the same situation. Me brought out to, to Las Vegas for my own performances after fish and having an opportunity on one of the four nights to get to go to the show, the 31st, which is typically the night that we take off on that fish run. We'll play the first three. And so I've had a chance to go to that fourth and see what, whatever the shenanigans that they pull are. I went into that set with a mindset of, I am accepting whatever this is this is going to be a moment where i put aside all of my own preconceived notions about fish um all of my own expectations about um what i am going to a show for what i hope to get out of it i'm putting everything aside and i'm just going to find the pocket and dance and have a great time no matter what it was and if you were able to go into that set with that mindset it was i mean they really it was super funky kind of like the halloween stuff that they were doing what what's the one that they do in um uh in atlantic city where they wrote a bunch of new songs for wingsuit the wingsuit Yep. Yeah. So it's like you know where like all the well there was another one though was were there two in Atlantic City? Was like chilling, thrilling, uh, chilling, thrilling, right? You know, like there's just like a lot of weird stuff was happening, and it's all new, um, and different. Um, I found that there were some really funky, like just like this is fish pockets, right? And whereas Castle Box, I really like wasn't sure what was going on. Like I truly was uh-huh. like in the in the school of people that were like, is this real? Is this not real? I never figured it out. I was confused and and like what is going on here the whole entire time. And I was, you know, I I, I um there were certain songs that really connected with me and Cascot Vox, you know, that, that they still play, but, um, but, but yeah, I loved sci-fi soldier. I loved it. And it's funny because we, um, are working on like a, 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 a space opera as well. That is, is, um, not from the future per se, but, um, or is kind of from the future, but is an alien space opera that the biscuits are sort of characters in and um and we've been working on it forever you know what i mean like since way before sci we we started it about i don't know five months before sci-fi soldier happened we started working on a disco biscuit space opera and um then sci-fi and then fish you know of course they did it <laughs> of course but it was it, i mean it was great that was such a fun fun time I, I i can't like now i'm i'm at a point now where if like i'm looking for them to like just like find some funk pockets and like you know and and let me get my benji eyes and like you know spin dance on you know what i mean because i 
by the way, something you may not know about me is I have adopted Benji's dance for myself <laughs> at fish shows because it's just a perfect kind of groove right down to every now and then doing a little bit of a spin of the hat. You I was know, better off not knowing that, I think. <laughs> I don't I don't I, I I don't adopt his dance, but but um, but we do every now and then. We do, we do. I don't know if it would. I have to be the I have to be the arbiter, the time arbiter. Now we we've okay. not we've not doubled our normal time. We've tripled our normal time allotment. So we do have to. So you win the prize, Mark. You win the absolute prize. But that's going to do it for us today. Do you agree, Benji? Or right. is there yeah, one? Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for letting me ramble on. Thank you, Mark Brownstein, for revisiting December 2nd, 1997 in Philly with us. Hey, Tom. Yes, Benji? <laughs> <laughs> One more thing. You just said December 2nd, 1997 in Philadelphia. Ah, I sure did. Well, um, it's now that we talked about 12-2 Philly, we have to very briefly, or else RJ's going to kill us, we have to talk about 12-11 just outside of Philly. Yeah, 25 years and one week later, December 11th, 2022. We're all over the place. Uh, well, not really. We are in the 215. We are <laughs> on the Philly main line. Uh, but we are going back to the future because that will still be nine days away from when this airs. So your stroll is no longer snapped in half from all the time travel. Where where will we, we be? What am I talking about? Okay, so you and I and RJ and and Mark too, if if we can convince him, um, <laughs> we'll be in Ardmore, PA, on December 11th for a special Undermine live taping as we celebrate the elaborate conclusion of this season. Elaborate is right. Well, you know, we'll be there. RJ will be there. Megan from HF Pod will be there, and a bunch of Jam Rock All Stars will be there performing a set of Jam Rock and Cal Funk. Inspired by Fish's Fall 97 tour, it's members of Pink Talking Fish, Dodds in a Pile, Twiddle, maybe some Disco Biscuits, but no promises there. We have to convince them first. <laughs> well, will you Magner. do that? Uh, no, not yet. Not He hasn't <laughs> said yes yet <laughs> Nothing either. Yet. Um, Nothing yet. We have to convince them. We'll do, we'll, we'll go to work on uh, Mark off, off mic, but... Um, uh, by the way, Mark has already participated in an Osiris live show at the Arbor Music Hall in the past. But to recap, we are going to be there live on Sunday, December 11th, for our final podcast of this Undermine season with tons of live music and not too much talk. We promise the link for tickets is in the show notes. Thank you, Mark Brownstein. And thanks to the invisible Osiris team that makes this all happen. And I do have to give a nod to our sponsor, Cash or Trade the world's only social network where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. So if you have a ticket you don't want or want a ticket you don't have, try your luck at cashertrade.org before going elsewhere. Coming up next, night two of Fish's Fall 97 Philly shows. We will see you back here tomorrow. And until then, as they say in Philly, no deals. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mark. And Thanks, thank you, Brian. Benji. Invite me at your own risk. <laughs> okay, great. You might come, which is great. I think I think that means on December 11th, we might be seeing members of the Disco Biscuits too. All right. No promises. But... All right, no promises. All right, <laughs> see you guys. Bye-bye. Osiris. 
Hey, music fans. We wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com, for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.